Welcome to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. They get the credit, we ask the questions. This is Credit Hour. On today's episode, we speak with world-renowned trumpeter Vince DiMartino, who will be performing with USD faculty and the South Dakota Symphony Orchestra at the Washington Pavilion on April 4th for an event called USD Presents The Signature Sound. Vince, how are you doing this morning? Absolutely great. Now, where, where are you joining us here from? I know we're uh, doing this interview over Skype. I'm in the giant city of Danville, Kentucky. All 50,000 <laughs> residents are somewhere around. And how long have you lived in Kentucky? That's where you taught for a lot of your career, correct? Exactly. I, I, uh, I moved here in 1972. I was up in Rochester, New York at Eastman School of Music and looking for a place to teach. And out of nowhere, I got called from University of Kentucky and they asked if I wanted to come for one year. And I said, I'd be glad to. And I, I guess I never left. You know, that's that was one thing I wanted to ask is how does a you know, world renowned trumpeter find themselves in Kentucky? Did you have any affiliation before you kind of took that first teaching job? Only, uh, only passively. One of my roommates in college was from Lexington. He's a viola player, and I passed through here when I was very young, playing with Lionel Hampton, and he showed me around the area, and I thought it was nice. And uh, that's when I actually met uh, one of the uh, music faculty at University of Kentucky, uh, who came to the the uh, concert that I did with Lionel Hampton, who's also from Kentucky. Actually, he's from Louisville. And then I. Uh, about a, two years later, they had a like uh, er, uh, an opening for a trumpet teacher last minute, and they said, "Well, maybe we can call that guy that we heard playing with Lionel Hampton. Maybe he would want to come because he said he was interested in teaching." So I, I, uh, they called me up and I said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll come down and audition. I, I'd love to try." And about halfway through the year, once I was here. Uh, they asked me if I was interested in staying, and I said, well, gosh, yes, I love teaching. So, uh, No, to back up one second, you know, how did you, um, you know, get interested in music? W was that like a family affair, or was that something that you kind of pursued individually? It was a new... I was the first person in my family, in my immediate family, that did music, and uh, I just, you know, they asked me if I wanted to play trumpet, well, actually, actually I, I told them I wanted to play drums, and they said they had enough drummers. So if I, if I wanted to play trumpet, I could uh, take lessons and be in the band. So I said, okay. <laughs> and, and where did you grow up? Um, Long Island, New York, West Babylon. It's a very small town. And so did you, know, you have like an influential you know, trumpet teacher then at that age, or how did you kind of find guidance to pursue this? Well, my high school band director was a very fine trumpet player, and... Uh, he recruited us, you know, from the elementary schools. He, they would come around with a little group, and they would, uh, you know, like do a little concert and see if anybody was interested in starting music. And he was, he would play in the little group, and I heard him, and you know, and I said, "Wow, he sounds really great." So when they wouldn't let me start on drums, I said, "Well, I want, I want to maybe play the trumpet like him." You know, how old were you? Oh, uh, twelve. 12. So did you kind of take to the instrument immediately? I mean, did you kind of find it intuitive or was it something that you really had to you know, practice at to see yourself well, succeed in? I'm still practicing at it. But <laughs> but yeah, you know, well, I think, you know, 
I, I'm not really sure. You know, every every kid is different, but I was also really passionate about school in general. I mean, I was a good student. You know, somebody if I had homework, I did all my homework. You know, and I was always that kind of a kid. I don't know why, but I was. And uh, when I got the trumpet, you know, they uh, my band director was a very smart guy. He would show me things that I couldn't do on the trumpet, and he knew that that was the secret to getting me to practice <laughs> because I didn't like to be able to, to not be able to do what somebody asked me to do. So I practiced and I learned a lot of the things I really needed to know in the beginning because he kind of showed me the sort of the way, you know what I mean? He, he just kind of led me uh, to the right things to do and, and helped me very much, you know, forever. And he, he uh, matter of fact, I have his trumpet. I played it at his memorial service. And and oh. they they presented me. I didn't know they were going to do that. They presented me with his trumpet, and I I still play it uh, at times, uh, along with the other hundred and fifty that I have. <laughs> well, you know, so how did you you know you kind of had this initial interest in music? I mean, where did that take off? Where you started to say, hey, maybe I could do this professionally, or maybe I should you know continue an education in this? How did you kind of make that decision? Well, it was pretty interesting. Uh, I was actually going to be a wanted to be a dentist but you know and um so i you know i was always like i say doing everything as best as i could and uh one summer my high school sent me to uh columbia south america as an exchange student and uh i didn't really get to play in anything you know there was there was wasn't a lot of music things for me to do down there as an exchange student in the summer it lasts about four months and uh but i found a jazz club uh, called Freddy's American Jazz Bar <laughs> in the worst section of Bogota, which you can imagine wasn't very good. And, and uh, I, I took all the exchange students there and I played every week uh, on Wednesday nights and they would feed everybody practicing. And, you know, I, had, I practiced when I was there, but it wasn't as easy because we I was an exchange student. I was going to school every day. I was learning Spanish and, you know, doing a lot of other things. But when I went back... Uh, I uh, I talked to my mom and I said, you know, mom, I really had a great time in being an exchange student, but I, but I think what I want to do is really go into music and not go into uh, being a dentist, you know. And she said, okay. I said, really? You don't mind if I'm going to be a musician? She says, no. She says, you always work very hard at everything you do, and I'm sure you'll work just as hard at being a musician as you do being a dentist. And I said, that's great. You can tell dad. <laughs> well i mean that's like a great story i mean do you you know in your own role as a, a teacher then did you find that positive encouragement i guess worked a little bit better than, than negative yeah well i think a good combination of both is is really good <laughs> you know it's like you uh tap you you pat them on the back and kick them in the butt at the same time you know you got to have a little of both and it's there's a lot of work you know there's no, I don't really think there's a such thing as a genius. There's just a lot of extraordinary people. That's people that go to the nth degree to do, to find out what they can do. You know, so, so basically, I think that's sort of my job as a teacher is to, you know, give people advice on what they really need to do and then to try to help them uh, achieve that, you know, to at least get a start. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm, excited about what my students are doing today which is i'm in touch with students almost every day 
So it's really, really fantastic. You know, you talked about this kind of first foray at this jazz club in Bogota, which is a colorful story. I mean, you can, like, imagine it, right? I mean, is there any other memories of kind of some of your first performances? You know, one that maybe you, you know, did extraordinarily well in, and it was like the moment where you were like, hey, I can do this. Maybe an opposite performance where you kind of crashed and burned and were like, what am I doing here? A few times a year every year just you know the trumpet is a pretty unforgiving instrument and uh, a lot of instruments you know like the piano or uh, something like that it's all put together for you every day but with the the trumpet your your body is part of the instrument and if you have a big pimple on your lip or you have a really bad cold or something like that you know it's all run by wind so sometimes it's a little more challenging than others to play but but you know, overall, over the over the course of a year, you know, most of the performances, and you're playing for people. People are are I don't want to say they're not forgiving, but they're uh, they're emotional. That's why they like to go to concerts. They go to concerts uh, for the emotional connection with the musician, and and uh, you know, the reason that they don't have to go to music school to understand what we're doing is that it really mirrors the type of uh, tension and release, I think, in our everyday lives, you know. When you have something big coming up, you know, you get really sometimes worked up or somebody scares you, you know, and uh, you, you emotionally, you know, it's a shock. And there's a lot of things in music that mirror the things that happen to us in our daily lives, some of which are really great and some of which are not. So, uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Well, no, the... It- it kind of just struck me what you said there about kind of the emotive feeling of, of the music. I mean, do you feel like you have to place yourself in a certain kind of emotional mindset to perform particular pieces? Is it, it you know, it, it, do you need to get yourself worked up or is it more like, hey, I, I, is it, I don't know, more intellectual than that, right? Is it, hey, I have notes that I need to play? How do you, what's your mindset as you approach well, there's it? There's a combination of things, you know, uh, when you practice music, which I think is the most emotional part of what you do, you also have to be practicing technique because you have to be able to make uh, the musical instrument, which is this, match up with the mechanical device, which is this. So you have to get this to sound like that. So we're always practicing both of those things. We're, we're do, using we're using both of those things working simultaneously. Sometimes more we're working on technique, but without uh, giving respect to the music, it won't sound right. And at the same time, you can have the most beautiful thoughts in the world, and if your trumpet playing's not in the right place, it isn't going to sound too beautiful. You know, you reference kind of the the disconnect that can occur between you know your brain and and the mechanical device, right, of a musical instrument. I mean, do you find that in particular to wind instruments, um, or do you think that that's true of anything? I mean, guitar, uh, piano, anything like that. I think it's true of anything. It's like a golfer, too. <laughs> Even non musical instruments, you know, there's a certain uh, place that you need to be. Where, you know, like you don't worry about how you walk down the street. You're not thinking about what your feet are doing. You know, and if you practice uh, walking enough, you don't get worried. Like when you get up in the morning, you don't say, oh, my gosh, can I walk? You just, you, you've done it so many times that it becomes part of your operation. And that's what we hope happens with our, our musical instrument. 
we hope that it becomes part of straight out of here through the instrument. And that's why we practice, because in order to get that connection, there's a lot of uh, physical things that we do to make the emotional come across, you know. So we're always doing that. We're practicing it every day. We're, most musicians practice at least two or three hours a day, you know, and, and, and then they're performing and teaching. And, you know, it's a full-time job just like most people. If, if you're truly engaged in it in a way that puts you in that extraordinary place. Yeah, you, you talk about um, the need for practice. I mean, I, I love that because I think when you see a concert, um, particularly in a genre like jazz, right, there's so much improvisation and um, communication that's occurring between the musicians that you like to think that it's all spontaneous, right? I mean, when you're yeah. you know kind of doing a, a jazz piece like that, how do you communicate with um, you know another musician who's maybe playing a completely different instrument, right? I mean, how do you get on the same page musically with them? Is it eye contact? Is it um, something that you can kind of hear w with the direction and tone that they're going with their their piece? How do, how does that occur for someone who honestly has no you know musical ability or, or, or ability to do that sort of thing? Well, music. I think music is an anticipatory thing. You know, it, it, there are only three things that can happen in music. Thank goodness for me. It, it, so I wouldn't be able to do it. It would be too complex. <laughs> it, it, music either gets more excited, less excited, or kind of rambles along about the same. And the musicians themselves, you know, anticipate where you're going. Now, in jazz, there, there's usually a framework based on some music, a tune, you know, like... Uh, Flintstones, where the Flintstones, dee, da, 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 da. so everybody knows these structures that we call songs or tunes, just like the songs you you hear people singing. Uh, most jazz tunes, most jazz tunes have a structure, so therefore uh, we learn these things, and we almost we have them memorized, really. And and then when you go play somewhere, people uh, have a, a repertoire that's similar. So you can say, do you know uh, Autumn Leaves? What key do you know it in? Okay, G minor, great, let's play that. And then that, then we have a framework with, within which we can uh, stretch different ways and do different tempos if we want or anything else. But the basic uh, repertoire is sort of learned for traditional jazz, traditional do you, do you, jazz. Do you have a favorite genre of music? Whatever I'm playing that moment. <laughs> right. Because have to be you have to you know like for instance you know like I, I play on this old cornet you know in this thing here and that's a style but if i play my my uh my jazz trumpet which i, I think here it is if i play this this is a whole different thing sounds like a different person because really we're kind of actors and actresses the music has a structure like a play has a structure and yet you know if you're inside a Shakespeare play uh, whether you want to or not you have to play Hamlet uh, but you can play it with your own inflections and your own 
uh, you know, kind of emphasis on words and things, even giving some maybe some uh, hidden meanings to some of the things you do. And it's the same thing with music. Uh, when we play a certain tune, a certain instrument, a certain instrument has a certain general voice, uh, and they would call on a trumpet player to play a certain part, like in an opera, uh, or Fidelio. Fidelio is a famous trumpet call. You know, you have to do that from from the off stage. To announce that the uh, the king is coming, you know. <laughs> well, you know, I love that you kind of are playing two different you know musical instruments. You talked a little bit earlier about the connection that you had with um, your former band director's uh, trumpet and how you still play that. I mean, how do you personify your instruments a lot? I mean, do you name them? What what goes into? I, I, I yeah, I'm curious. It's like. I mean, do you kind of bestow some power onto the instrument that you use at any particular time? I mean, what makes a particular instrument meaningful? Uh, the way it sounds. Like you heard those two very sounded very different. Uh, now here's another one. This is a, an E-flat trumpet. trumpet concerto so there's a definite uh box for that type of music uh it's a classical period piece so basically that requires knowledge and study and and interaction with other musicians to see how their instruments fit with yours and then you come up with a a performance how big of a a collection of instruments do you have oh my gosh uh, 150. Is it mostly trumpet then, or do you kind of branch out as well? Trumpets and cornets. See, like, there's a, this is a brand new one that I just got. This is a cornet like the other one that I played. And it's a modern, uh, it's called a Blackburn trumpet. It's a brand, you know, just like anything else. beautiful sound and of course it would fit certain types of music so i also collect historical instruments really old ones my earliest one is about 1740 and then i have ones that are up till today of course the modern ones like some of the ones i was just playing well and of course before we you know hit record on the podcast we were talking you have a connection with the national music museum here in vermilion i don't know if you could just tell us a little bit about that well, the National Music Museum is, is probably the most spectacular museum of its type in the world. Most people don't know a lot about it unless you live in that area. But matter of fact, we did a, a live uh, stream uh, broadcast in November from the museum uh, on the history of the trumpet. It's called Sound the Trumpet. And we played a lot of the instruments uh, like the ones that are housed at the National Music Museum, which is under construction right now, and uh, re, it's being redeveloped into a larger uh, larger uh, building 
area. No, you know, I was going to say that had to have been one of its kind of last performances in its old space before it, it expands. Um, you know, the National Music Museum really is a gem here on campus. It's got one of the world's largest collections of museums. Yeah. Um, and in particular, though, it, it has really, you know, special, um, you know, Stradivarius, uh, I think a cello and violin, um, right. just some really amazing instruments. Are there any particular trumpets or anything like that at the Music Museum oh, that you particularly gravitate towards? Well, just to start with the Stradivarius, they have a whole Stradivarius room, meaning they have dozens of Stradivarius instruments from guitars to cellos to violins, violas. It's amazing. And and uh, as far as the trumpets go, uh, the Utley collection, which uh, Joe Utley, who passed away probably about 15 years ago or so, um, donated his collection and his wife, Joella, is on the board as well as me. Uh, it's the most spectacular trumpet cornet collection in the world. And it's right in Vermilion. That's one of the reasons I went there originally. I'd heard about the museum and I was doing something in Sioux City, Iowa, right down the road. And somebody said, do you want to go to a museum? And I said, okay, you know, I wasn't, I didn't know anything about it really. Uh, I figured they'd have a few instruments and I could look at them and take up some time. And I went there and I just was just in shock and awe, just looking at all the instruments they had. They had over 400 cornets just stored in the basement that I, they had me look. I, I didn't want to leave for days. I just, <laughs> matter of fact, I didn't leave for a few days. I stayed there and it was just remarkable. And, and it is still the most remarkable museum for, and, and they have, uh, you know, curators, people who help to maintain the instruments, people who do research on the instruments, writing books, Sabina Klaus, she's uh, just finished the third, she started working on her fourth large volume of uh, about the Utley collection of trumpets. And uh, we have uh, videos that go with it. And uh, it's just, it's just remarkable. And we have so much support from the city of Vermilion. Uh, from the mayor to the Chamber of Commerce, uh, the president of the university. Uh, all these people are working together to make the, the National Music Museum one of the greatest in the world. Well, and of course, the benefit of having an uh, institution like that here on campus is that it brings musicians like yourself um, to us, right? And you, know, you have a collaboration coming up um, with a couple of different uh, groups, the USD Music Faculty, the South Dakota Symphony Orchestra as well. Um, and you're going to be putting on a performance, I believe it's April 4th at 7.30 at the Washington Pavilion in Sioux Falls. Yeah. Um, can you just mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about what is that performance going to be? What, what might we hear um, if we attend? First of all, you'll hear some wonderful faculty members uh, performing uh, solos on different instruments, some of which are historic instruments. So you'll be hearing some of the uh, instruments like those that are housed in the museum. And I'll be playing uh, both old instruments and new instruments. I'm playing two pieces. The Carnival of Venice, uh, which is a famous old cornet solo from the uh, mid-1800s, and it's still played today. It's, it's about 150 years old, the solo, and people are playing it uh, every week somewhere because it's like sort of the go-to piece for cornet players to, to learn. I learned it when I was in high school, and it, it, it wasn't easy and still not easy, uh, but, but it's, it's you know one of the standard repertoire pieces. And you're going to hear a wonderful orchestra directed by uh, Maestro Geyer, and... and uh, <laughs> 
I mean, I've heard a couple of snippets of it, and they sound awful good. So that is a fantastic thing. Another resource in the area is is up right up there in Sioux Falls. Yeah, you know, and I, I think that's an underappreciated part. You know, we we obviously talked about um, the National Music Museum, but just everything that's happened in Sioux Falls, music wise, um, even in the last five ten years, I would say, has really grown. I know that the South Dakota Symphony Orchestra is also kind of our own little gem as well. Um, I hate telling people about it because then it, tickets might be harder to get for some of their performances. To be honest with you, yeah. um, but no, I I'm really looking forward to the concert. You know, before we kind of sign off, I want to circle back to some of the things that we talked about a little bit earlier you know you're obviously a, a, a was an educator for you know a large part of your life um, as well as a professional musician you know when you worked with students and in your own life probably you maybe dealt with some of this as well how would you get over kind of the anxiety that came with performing in front of large venues of people how, how do you teach students to deal with that well first of all <clears throat> One of the things that causes uh, anxiety is not knowing if you can do it or not thinking that you can do it. And uh, just like anything else, um, when you're prepared, uh, it's it's like any, you go out and you're not afraid. If you've if you've uh, gone out, another thing is part of it is the amount of times you've performed. Most students including me when I was a student, I was always nervous about performing because we only did it like once alone, only once or twice a year. So it's pretty hard to do anything really well if you only do it one twice a year. If somebody asks you to dive off the high diving board and you haven't done it before, man, it's pretty... And, and, but if you can take little steps from the lowest diving board up to the highest one, after a while... You got to get a feel for the whole for the whole thing, and also knowing that you can do something. When I make a mistake, I repeat it five times to get it right. I say you 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 have to be more more accurate than that. So yeah, and then then after you've done it, or I pick up just like I pick up my trumpet just then, and I just play. I don't say, gosh, I haven't played in ten minutes. I hope I can you know get my lips going and stuff. Well. I think once in a while, it's also, you know, like when you go to your house and the and the front light is out and you walk up to the front door, you don't go, oh, my gosh, I hope I can get the key in the door. You don't ever say that. You just go, yeah, I've done this a hundred times. Boom. And you hardly ever miss. Right. That's pretty remarkable when you think about it, you know, but you don't think about it because it becomes... Uh, part of a repetitive routine. The music isn't routine, but the act of going out on the stage becomes more routine. And you develop a, uh, a way of doing it that makes you feel relaxed. You, know, you, you talk about how practice equals a certain level of confidence um, in a musician's ability to execute a piece. I mean, would you have any professional advice for young musicians who are thinking about you know, going to school for music or thinking about wanting to do this um, you know, as, as, a, as a day job? I, I guess I don't know if music can be a day job, right? but that, that might be their aspiration. I mean, what would you tell them? Well, I think, I think that you have to dedicate yourself every day to work, doing some sort of work. Uh, there are two things that need to happen. You need to listen to music like the music you're going to play. A lot of students today don't listen enough to the 
the kind of music they're going to play on the trumpet. They might be listening to popular music, and there aren't many trumpets in that. So if you don't really listen to the instrument on a regular basis, you don't know what it's supposed to sound like. You know, so so if you're going to err in between listening and practicing, I would listen more and practice less, even though that's not what I do, because the because the listening part leads you quicker to the way you're supposed to sound rather than just practicing a bunch of exercises that have no music in the, in the background, you know? So, uh, music is, is, uh, the instrument is part of a landscape. Usually the trumpet anyway, pianists can become the whole landscape organists, people who are solo instruments. The trumpet is not a really a solo instrument because you very rarely play it alone even though there are solo pieces, but that part of the repertoire, that part of our literature is very small compared to almost always playing with a pianist or an organist or a, a string group or a band or a jazz band or a, a combo, jazz combo or something like that. We have, we have colleagues that we play with. So that context becomes very important. And a lot of methods today are becoming really great because there are so many recordings of uh, things you can play with, like, you know, background things and, and stuff, play alongs. And that's great because if you're listening to the whole, uh, you know, group, you start to sound like you belong in the group. So therefore you're starting to learn the context and you become familiar with that before the first time you get on stage and all of a sudden the, you only played with the pianist one time and you've only done this, you know, maybe one time. and it, and then you have distractions. But if, you, if you're practicing with things that sound like what you're going to do on stage, it's a lot easier. You know, for my final question, and I might ask you if you would play us off, I guess, maybe a piece. I'll, I'll plant that seed if you can think of one um, okay. as I ask this question. You know, you, you've had an interesting career. It's a little bit more introspective. And you, know, you have been able to perform professionally, um, been able to teach um, and kind of educate an entire generation of, of musicians, which I think is a pretty cool thing. You were awarded a Lifetime Service Award, I think, in 2008 by the governor of Kentucky for a lot of this service that you've been able to accomplish in your career. You know, at this point in your life, what do you know for sure? That I think I chose the right profession and that I live in the right place and that I have been an asset to this geographic area and and I guess in, in the long run, a lot of different places. But, you know, when I moved here, I realized that there was a need for somebody like me here. And I just stayed in the same place for my whole career and teaching at University of Kentucky and Center College. You know, is there a piece that you can play us off with? Sure. I'll play uh, The Autumn Leaves.
Vince, thank you so much. We're really excited for you to join us here on April 4th for uh, USD Presents The Signature Sound. Bye-bye, and thank you for doing this. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. Listening is 100% of the grades. We hope you enjoyed the episode. 